listening to yet another Power of Three podcast episode. We're a triumvirate of Doctor Who fans who, each week, discuss, digest, digress and disagree as we talk about our favourite time-travelling hero, Mr Doctor Who, in all forms of his adventures, whether on TV, audio, comic strips, animations, novels, action figures or edible goodies. When shall we three meet again is a question we regularly ask, but Despite having no thunder, lightning or rain, here we are. So, let me introduce myself and my co-conspirators. I'm Kenny Smith, the bloke that writes Vortex for Big Finish, the free magazine you can download at www.bigfinish.com forward slash vortex. And, stage left, looking very fetching in a pair of tights, and indeed, perhaps far more comfortable in them than I would have expected, is Mr David Steele. Say hello, Dave. Hello, Kenny. Hello, Tom. Hello everyone, welcome back. Thank you for joining us. How are your tights today? <laughs> right, oh yeah. It's okay if I don't, if I don't stand up too quickly, I'm okay. <laughs> and over on stage right, wrapped up in a black cloak and stroking his moustache and beard with an evil relish, is our very own pantomime villain, Mr. Tom Harris. Hello, Tom. Mwahaha, as they say <laughs> in, in villain land. How are you, Kenny? <laughs> I'm very good, Tom. Very well indeed. And uh, yes, thoroughly enjoying this chance for the three of us to be together once more. Anyway, today you may have noticed a rather strange theatrical feel to our introduction because today we're going to be talking about Doctor Who being performed live in front of our very eyes. Yes, we're talking about the three stage productions that we've all attended Doctor Who The Ultimate Adventure. Doctor Who, The Monsters Are Coming, and Doctor Who, The Symphonic Spectacular. Of course, all three of us are far too young to have seen the first two stage plays, The Curse of the Daleks from 1965, and Doctor Who and the Daleks in the Seven Keys to Doomsday from 1974, all of which have been adapted for audio by Big Finish. Tom, would it be right in saying that you've not heard the first two that I just mentioned there? Uh, yeah, that's correct. Uh, they are they are unknown territory to me, I'm afraid. Yeah, very, very bizarre. Curse of the Daleks is very 60s in its feel, and Doctor Who and the Daleks and the Seven Keys to Doomsday, to give it its proper title, is a very strange one. But at least it still had there a guy who played the Doctor in it, Mr Trevor Martin. He died quite recently, did he not? He did, very recently. I think he's within the last 18 months or so. Cause I did an interview with him about, about some big finishy stuff, and... Afterwards, you know, he's very friendly, very chatty and said that he had very few souvenirs from Doctor Who and the Daleks in the Seven Keys to Doomsday. So because I had access to a whole load of pictures that were quite rare of him in costume with the Dalek Supreme, I printed these out for him and sent them to him at home and got a lovely wee note back from him to saying thank you very much, which I've still got. So it's quite a nice wee memento from the late, great Trevor Martin. Very good. That now brings us up to the third stage play, which was released, and that was Doctor Who, The Ultimate Adventure, written by Terence Dix. John Pertwee was the star of the show when it came to the King's Theatre in Glasgow in May 1989. Margaret. <laughs> <laughs> How very nice to see you again. But what on earth are you doing here? I was rather under the impression that you said for me. Didn't you get my signal? Well, I was to go at once to number 10, of course, that's why I'm here. Not this number 10, you silly man. <laughs> number 10, the night 
Robert Carrington's crib. Allow me to explain. The device upon which the message was received functioned rather unreliably. The message became garbled and by that we... Doctor, who is this young man? Oh, forgive me, Prime Minister. Allow me to present the Marquis de saint Evremont de Signe de la Tour. Uh, Jason, for short. <laughs> Prime Minister, am I to understand that you summoned me back to Earth merely to escort you to a nightclub? <laughs> How dare you do that? <laughs> it isn't me who's the escorting doctor. It's the American envoy. Why on should I escort an American envoy to a and sit down, I'll explain. The most important peace conference in Earth's history. Begins here at Darwin Street tomorrow morning. Well, it's certainly about time. Unless you humans mend your ways, this little planet of yours is going to end up as a radioactive cinder hanging in space. If I may continue. The American envoy is the one key figure in this entire peace conference. You are too modest, dear lady. Believe me, Doctor, without him, it can't possibly succeed. His own people trust him. And for once, so do the Russians and the Chinese. Well, I fail to understand how a man with such awesome responsibilities can find time to go gallivanting around nightclubs. He is an American. Doctor. <laughs> Besides, I gather it's a rather special occasion. The nightclub is being opened by a local whose niece is making her singing gaze there. But all this is rather besides the point. But what exactly is the point? MI5 has discovered a plot to kidnap the peace envoy and to blow up the conference. And that the danger comes from beyond this earth. Now I understand why you said for me, Prime Minister. Uh, number 10, Clarendon Square. You said, yes, it's all right, I'll find it. There must be an age of Z in the TARDIS somewhere. Uh, doctor? Yes? I can depend upon you, can't I? This really is most terribly important. <laughs> Dear Margaret, you know you can always depend on me. <laughs> Jason? <laughs> I can cope with most things in the universe, from Daleks to dinosaurs. But quite frankly, that woman terrifies me. <laughs> Tom, did you see this one? I didn't, and I remember seeing the posters and I saw that John Perry was in it. But by this time, if you remember our previous discussions, by, by the late 80s, by the time the show was cancelled, I couldn't care less that it had been cancelled. I mean, I had decided, stopped watching it a couple of years earlier and had been thoroughly disabused of my notions of, of fandom. So I regret it now, of course, but when I saw the posters for it, I was interested. You know, just like at that time, I'd go into shops and I'd see novels stuff and I'd always pick them up and flick through them but never actually buy them. So I regret, you know, not to go, go along to see it. I do, I do. A friend of mine went to see it and he waited outside the stage door to meet John Pertwee and get his autograph and he duly turned up and, and did it. But there was an American fan who was there. And I always remember my friend telling me that this, when we were speaking to her and she said, oh, I just love John Pertwee. No, say it right. Yeah, I did go to see this one. I actually got this as a an early birthday present because my birthday is in June, on June the 19th. Oh, crikey, that's coming up very close, isn't it, everyone? Presents to the usual address, please. 
And uh, yeah, I got that as an early birthday present for my 15th birthday in 1989. So I went with my mum, my dad and my sister, Roberta. We went for a Chinese meal on Sucky Hall Street, I think it was. Yeah, and uh, went for that. And then we headed off to the theatre afterwards and saw the show. And it was just so bizarre. So I was just thinking, here's Doctor Who live in front of me. It's like John Pertwee. And it was there was something really bizarre about it. Just thinking, you're watching a Doctor Who story being performed live and there's some rubbish Daleks on stage and there's some good Cybermen and uh, these new companions, Crystal and Jason. Uh, we'll come back to Crystal later on. Yeah, it was just so strange. And just having it, and obviously the TARDIS prop itself, it looked rubbish. It was all the wrong <laughs> proportions and it made me so angry. Then again, it's quite similar to a new series one, I suppose. And then there was the console, which looked brilliant, really, really good. And particularly when the rotor stopped after it stopped moving, you didn't just have a wee bit poking out at the top. It just went completely flat and dropped all the way down. So it was quite nice mm. to see. And then even now and again, you get pictures of it showing up here and there. And it's quite a nice wee bit of nostalgia just seeing all this again and bringing all the memories back. And it was a, it was a happy, it was quite a happy production from what I remember. Everybody had a good time going out to the theatre afterwards. There was a happy hubbub around the place. How long did Pertwee do it? Because you, Colin Baker took over from. That's right. John did it for about, I think he did the first 10 weeks or something like that. And was, you know, I think it opened in Wimbledon and was there for a short while before it moved around the rest of the country and then Colin took over for the run in Edinburgh. But when it came to the theatre there, so it was quite a. Did you see it? Did run. you see it with Colin as well? I didn't. No, I was. No. Um, I think I'd pushed my luck already, getting the whole family to go to the theatre for one night to go and see one Doctor Who play. So how old were you at the time? Fifteen. Right, right. So I wasn't probably. Steve had been another year. I would have gone through on my own quite happily, or gone mm. through. In fact, a year later, I joined the. In fact, it was January, nineteen ninety. I joined the Doctor Who group there. So, if I joined, you know, earlier, I probably would have gone through with some of the guys from that because I'm sure that they would have gone through and and seen it there. Okay, Dave, did you bother going to see this? What what are your memories of of the Ultimate Adventure stage version? Yes, I saw the Ultimate Adventure twice. The the, the John Pertwee version, I should say, it's consecutive nights. May 1989, so it all ties in with um, doing my old grades and standard grades, that's my memory of it, when all that was sort of going on. Went on the first night, I think it might have been the Tuesday, I think we went the, the two nights, it was the Tuesday, anyway. First time I went was with my mum and my dad and my sister, and the second night was with my mate Kenny, it was supposed to be me and Kenny and his big brother David, but David had chicken pox, so Kenny's dad took us instead, drove us up instead. I don't think Mr. Thompson was that fussed about Doctor Who either way, but you know, there we are. It's weird because I remember it very, very fondly, whereas at the time I think I cringed a little bit watching it. I think, I don't think I was expecting it to be quite as much a family pantomime as it was, which, you know, it basically, you know, it was, you know, nice wholesome entertainment for the whole, for the, for the whole family. My favourite thing about it was being able to see John Pertwee on stage. It was amazing. I, you know, think about it now and I just think, wow! I was too busy worrying about, you know, taking it seriously and, and being, oh, it's a bit corny, but, you know, it was great fun. The thing that struck me, what always surprises me is just how well I do actually remember it, because this was 1989, this is May 1989, as we record this, it's June 2021, and I can still visualise loads of it in my head. Like the bit with the, um, the French Revolution scene, being able to see the people operating the Daleks, and, you know, the really, really funny scene at the end when the, the bomb's going to go off. And I remember the look that 
the, um, the sort of comedy double take as the Doctor and Jason sort of looked sort of to the right as Zog was polishing the teapot. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just I remember like Kenny looking when when I went to my pal Kenny Thompson the, the second night he kind of looked at me and his eyes kind of rolled but we both laughed because it was genius it was pro- proper Doctor Who as I always say. Yeah, I mean something that I particularly remember was a David Bankson and getting to see him out the cyber suit. Of course. Carl, and, yeah. yeah, Carl, the leader of the mercenaries, the songs. Yeah, well, see, that's the thing. Like, the songs were one of the things that just made you cringe inside out, especially when you know, sky high, I wonder how I, you know, I can remember the words like after so long. It's insane. I heard these songs twice, but some of some of it, I remember thinking was really good. Like the bit with the doctor and Jason being backstage as Crystal sort of sang her song. That was that was a great little scene. You can totally picture it. I can't remember her name now. The, the woman from Bar Galactica. I can't remember her character. Madame Delilah. Madame Delilah. Because, of course, Johnsy had that bit of business where he got to wear a mask and the, the hat to be in disguise. And there was a moment when he took a, a long scarf out of a trunk inside the TARDIS and made a joke about teeth and curls having been there. And that was really good. But I remember like, the Bar Galactica song was the one that really made it feel like a pantomime. Oh, yes, it did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, it didn't. Oh, but yes, again, it did. That's another one that I can remember... Bits from, I can remember bits from the staging of that, like the way the Vervoid guy moved his head around and how the, the Draconian had the mask on but didn't have his chin made up, so it just looked like a guy wearing a Draconian mask. I, I loved it though, it was total cheese, and I think it's the sort of thing, if I saw it again now, I'd, I'd be all about it, you know, really. Yeah, yeah. something I also particularly remember was, because as, as you heard I just said to Tom, how rubbish those Daleks were on stage, completely wrong shapes and just dimensions. But the Emperor Dalek was magnificent. Yeah, the Emperor was really cool. Because I remember the scene at the start when Carl's talking to him and, you know, the Cybermen are always ready. That's another bit that sticks in the head, because that was one of the lines that was used when John D was on, on the waterfront plugging it, which I think I've still got in VHS somewhere. Yeah, the Emperor was so cool because it was really, it was kind of like a cross between the, um, the one from Emperor of the Daleks and the one from the the comic, the TV21 comics. I didn't think the Daleks were that bad. They looked kind of, they were a bit sort of stretched. I suppose they had, you had to be sort of practical about it. In the same way that the TARDIS set obviously compromised. Just You had to be, you know, there was a bit of suspension of disbelief, I think. Yep. I also remember that the Daleks are inside the TARDIS and one of them is getting a telling off and its eye stalk just drops. <laughs> That's right. And yeah, and people were going, oh. <laughs> it's not, it not a bit when they, they grab a power cable and short out the black Dalek or something. Does someone in hide, side, hide in, does someone hide inside the Dalek? Zog hides in the Dalek. I'd forgotten that. It yeah. all comes flooding back. And of course, you know, in the past on the podcast, we've talked about dimensions and time. And one of the biggest thrills in our house in dimensions and time was when you saw Zog <laughs> <laughs> from the Ultimate Adventure. Something that I actually I just remembered. <clears throat> At that time, David Banks had just released his book Cybermen. Yes. And was doing signings afterwards. So I went up and I thankfully my dad had enough change and I was able to get my copy. Because I think it was I think it was normally twenty five quid. Right. But my dad only had twenty. Right. And because I was so desperate to get it, they let me have it for twenty. Amazing. And I got it signed, which was an amazing memory. And thinking, wow, I've just met the cyber leader. Yeah, Excellent. I, I don't um I remember sort of longing and hoping that, that somehow I'd be able to meet John Pertwee or meet David Banks, but it, it didn't happen. I actually got the Cybermen book for Christmas that year, along with a couple of Marvel graphic novels. I think, if memory serves, Emperor of Doom and Revenge of the Living Monolith. There we go. Spectrum <laughs> Brain. Of course, we mentioned there that the show was back in Scotland before too long with Colin Baker in the Edinburgh Playhouse. I actually did interview one of the cast members from there, um, who I mentioned earlier, Rebecca Thornhill, who played Crystal. She was in Les Mis at the time, and this would be about February 1994. 
And as what just for one of my journalism students, it was a it was a radio project, and I went down and interviewed her with a bizarrely a reel to reel recorder, not just like a mini cassette player, but proper a slightly bigger one with a big microphone, and just had a chat to her about life on the road as a jobbing actor, and various roles that she'd done. And because I'm such a sad loser. I'd seen that she was in the cask. I saw Rebecca Thornhill and straight away I thought, that's Crystal from The Ultimate Adventure. So that was my whole hook for doing it. And I got an interview for the Glasgow Doctor Who group fanzine as well, Paisley Pattern. So I managed to get a, a little bit out of it as well for uh, a Doctor Who publication as well. So that was quite good fun. Very good. Now, obviously, it's been released on Big Finish. The, you know, the Big Finish produced their own version of it for audio. And that was the first and last time I got to listen to it. Doctor Who. The ultimate adventure. Those flying things, they're coming back. Too late, Doctor. Out of the storm. Cybermen, forward. Too late, are we? We'll see about that. Take the prisoner to the high security area. We obey. And when you left, you left. I'm sorry if there's been an interruption to your career, but we've got more important things to worry about, like the survival of the planet. Fortunately, I speak their language. What are your plans for the Doctor? You do not need to know. Wherever you're going, I will follow you. The Doctor is our enemy. He must be destroyed. The Doctor must be brought to us alive. Whenever you need me, you just got to call my name and I'll be there. There's people appearing and disappearing. Those giant silver things. People killed? Am I going crazy or what? Where is the human? Business is business. Take him away. Mercenaries, you will bring the prisoner. Human weapons do not affect us. Gradually, they replace their limbs, their organs, even their brains with cybernetic devices. This time, the Doctor is part of our plans. Once he has served his purpose, he will pay the penalty for his crimes. The Doctor will be exterminated! 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 Now, before I go on to my main comments, Kenneth, let me just say, I always respect Turnstix's writing. The thing with Turnstix was he knew his audience and he could write. He could write quite sophisticated, complex Doctor Who stuff that was perhaps more appreciated by fans. But he could write to order. And it was clear when he was asked to write this, he wasn't writing for a Doctor Who fan audience. He was writing very much for a family general audience, an audience that frankly probably didn't hadn't seen an awful lot of Doctor Who in the recent past. So I respect that. I understand what he was trying to do. He was trying to make the appeal broad rather than deep, shall we say. So that's in the plus column. In the minus column, 
It was a load of shite. <laughs> it was not. Good grief. I mean, yeah, I probably cringed inside out the first time I saw it because it wasn't the desperately serious outer space Doctor Who drama that was expected, but it was a lot of fun. Come on. <laughs> Gee whiz. <laughs> I couldn't bring myself to listen to it all the way through. After the first, or maybe the second song, can't remember how many songs there are in it, I, I just thought, nah, this is, there's, there's too much other stuff making demands on my time. I can't afford to listen to the rest of this. It was, it was fine, I guess, for a late 1980s audience. As I say, for a very general non-Doctor Who audience, I could see the attraction. But for me, listening to this just recently, I just thought it was really pretty bad. Sorry. I didn't go to see it in Edinburgh. Did you go to see it? I didn't. I remember hoping they'd be able to, but um, the week it was in Edinburgh, I think it was July 89 by this point, um, Colin Baker was playing the Doctor. I was, in, I was in France and in the process of coming home from France with the school. So sadly not. I kind of wish that I hadn't bothered. I've always said this, that I can, the second French trip I went on the school it was nowhere near as good as the first one. So I kind of wish that I maybe I hadn't. And, my parents could have saved the money and we could have gone through Edinburgh to see Colin Baker instead, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, no, I didn't see it. But it was interesting because my memories of Johnsy were so strong that it was when the big Finnish version came along with, with Colin, you know, I was able to sort of, in my head, sort of compare and contrast, you know. Yeah. How did you find the big Finnish version? It was interesting, wasn't it? Because it was sort of like you've got your memories and then all of a sudden here's Colin Baker doing it and not John Pertwee. Well, I didn't think... Terence Dick's one of these people. I think he knows, he knows the Doctor and all the different Doctors better than anyone. He always said, the Doctor is the Doctor is the Doctor. And he always writes the Doctor very, sim- you know, claims to always write the Doctor very sim- similarly each time. But I I think he does himself a disservice that he was, I think, in everything that he ever did, I think he was very good at capturing the sort of, the nuances of each incarnation. Um, I sound very serious here, but I thought it was, it was fine. I mean, there's the, the slightly torturous mangling of Reverse the Planet of the New Turn Flow, which was funny. You know, I loved, to be honest, to answer your question, I loved the big Finnish version. I did all the three stage plays one after the other over a couple of days. I did Cuss of the Daleks, and which was great. Seven Keys to Doomsday, which was phenomenal. Very similar, actually. I kind of run about written by Terrence Dix. But I, I enjoyed listening to it again because it was, it was very nostalgic. And I think it's sort of contrary to what Tom says. It throws everything together and it's very entertaining. Yeah. 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 I mean, and that was, that was the other thing. I was astonished at how many lines from some of the songs that I remembered. Given that it had been over 30, you know, what, 30 years since I'd heard them twice. Yeah, it's <laughs> incredible. Know, were they earworms or is it just another indicator of my spectrum brain? <laughs> I'd say it's an indicator of a good pop song. <laughs> but yeah, I, I never went through either, as, um, as I just said. I wish I had, because it would have been great to see Colin do it. But we do have the audio version. but And also, of course, it spanned a sequel on from Big Finish. Yes, now that was shite. <laughs> <laughs> Very disappointing because it was just basically it was just almost a rewrite with a list on Wally Robot and just for a laugh. No, <laughs> and a Rutan. Yeah, I am um, a Wooten and a list on Wally Robot. No, I didn't care too much for what was it called? Beyond the Ultimate Adventure. That's the one. I remember being like <laughs> didn't like that one at all. Sorry, Terence. <laughs> oh well. Have you heard that one, Tom? No, Dave, I haven't heard that. It sounds, frankly, even worse shite than the original. You mentioned the other stage plays, Big Finish Adapted. I thought they were really enjoyable. Trevor Martin, I thought, was fantastic mm. in Doctor Who and the Daleks and the Seven Keys to Doomsday. Mm. And what a wonderful voice he had. Yeah, it was great. It's, I mean, one thing, there's always talk about, you know, Doctor Who movies and, and what would happen. There was talk at various points when DT was the Doctor and 
they resurface every so often saying that BBC Studios wants to make a film but the, the showrunner won't allow it and that, honestly I don't think they could do any worse than maybe adapting Seven Keys to Doomsday or Ultimate Adventure because they, as, as Tom said you know all Doctor Who is here they're both really strong examples you know they give you certainly better a better way of selling it than say the, the Paul McGann TV movie which wasn't really representative of Doctor Who as a, as a whole it was you know it was a, a race against time in, in San Francisco because yeah Doctor Who's always like that. Whereas they, both of the stage plays that Terence Dix was involved in gave you a bit of time and space and gave you some dialects and gave you some... I mean, there's a really good scene in Seven Keys to Doomsday where they kind of fall out about with the Doctor and they sort of talk about, you know, whether or not they're all going to go on and keep doing what they're having to do. And, and it's really, really good, as you know, to use one of my favourite preferred phrases at the moment, proper Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did enjoy the... I mean, even the name of Clorantulars is great, and yeah. the sound they made, and to have Wendy Padbury's daughter in it as well. Yeah, I mean, that amazing sequence at the start, when the TARDIS lands in the theatre, and, you know, the, the kids run up onto the stage and help them in at the TARDIS, and, you know, we're told that on stage back in the day it was a back-projected regeneration from John Pertwee and Trevor Martin. That's brilliant. It's a brilliant idea. It's almost as good as Bernard Cribbins being a special policeman you know, trying to phone for help after seeing a jewellery shop being robbed. You know, I mean, it's, it's it's a brilliant introduction. Right, that was the ultimate adventure. Now, Tom, one mm. that I know you did see was Doctor Who Live, The Monsters Are Coming, which was at the SECC in Glasgow from October the 15th to 17th, 2010, because we met on the way back to the train station afterwards, which was the first time I'd seen you in years. Do you recall much about this encounter? I do, because I remember the first thing I asked you. Well, first of all, I didn't recognise you first because you had no hair. The last time I'd seen exactly. you, you did have hair. But when I realised it was you, the first thing I said was, is it canon? To which you, <laughs> to which you replied, yes, it is. Uh, so, <clears throat> so I've always assumed it to be canon ever since. I, I, I loved it. Nigel Planer, I think, was the, the main star. And he was very good. Uh, so Planer played the son of Vorg from Carnival of Monsters, which is still one of, if not the best uh, adventure of the classic series from the 10th season. And he played Vorgensen, who's the son of, of Vorg, which is brilliant. And he's still got the... Now, what's the name of that machine? The Miniscope. The Miniscope, God. Yeah, despite them being made illegal by the Time Lords. I always wondered, incidentally, what gave the Time Lords the right to make anything legal on sovereign planets? Bloody... Get your nose stuck out of other people's business, mate. <laughs> and and it was really well done. It was, you know, I think it was one of those stage pr- presentations that probably couldn't have been done before 2010 because the technology wasn't, you know, available. Um, and the, the short uh, but very dramatic appearance by Matt Smith's doctor was really well done. Uh, not in person, sadly, but it was very, very well done. I remember my boys liked it. I mean, 2010, so they would have been six and four. That's very young. Maybe the younger one didn't come with us, actually, but certainly the older one came and he thought it was absolutely brilliant. And it was aimed very much, again, at a family audience, but with an awful lot more respect, I think, for for the Doctor Who legend and the canon. And and yeah, it it was quality stuff, actually. Yeah, I mean, the script was by Stephen Moffat, I think his, he was the, one of the, so he came up with the, the central concept and developed by Gareth Roberts and Will Breton, who, of course, is better known as the co-creator of the Tweenies. Of course. Uh, we should point out that uh, the day that we're recording this is Gareth Roberts' birthday. He's 53. Is it? Yeah. Oh, there we go. I did not know that. For those who didn't see it, it was just it was so much fun. The basic story is you've got the son of Vorg, 
trying to use the miniscope and he captures the doctor who appears on a big screen. So we get to hear him interacting with Nigel Planer. And unfortunately, he's not very good at operating the device and lets out some Cybermen and they go on the rampage and you've got monsters stamping around the auditorium, going amongst the audience. And Nick Briggs is in it playing Winston Churchill. In fact, I remember actually I was texting Nick before the show because we were going to try and get a coffee, but he was absolutely bogged down in some rewrites on one big finish script. So we had to drop the, the plans, unfortunately. But it was just great having all the monsters wandering around you. You've got Silurians going past, Cybermen stomping. And do you remember that? Um, and particularly with scaling the wee one? I do. I remember the Silurians particularly coming through the audience with the gun and and, and the Cybermen. I can't remember. Oh, there was, was there not some... Um, were there any Jadun or am I thinking of a different yes. event? No, there were Jadun. There were Jadun. I'm getting confused because I remember a couple of the Christmas special previews that were shown to MPs. Uh, you very often got you know, Jadun and, and other monsters wandering around the audience when the BBC were of a mind to make a big deal about the, the uh, these Christmas previews. So I do, in my head, they were around about the same time, so I do get them mixed up a wee bit. But no, that was great. And I remember Jack, my six-year-old at the time, getting a wee bit nervous, very nervous. And the, the actors in the costumes, of course, look out for that and they kind of play up to it, but they're always quite careful not to make children cry so they don't make it too intimidating, but they were very good. Yeah. I mean, the thing was, I actually remember that this was actually an early Christmas present for me because at that point I was really, really skint and and it was financially a bit of a strain at the time. But then my mother-in-law actually got me the ticket for this one for my Christmas because they'd been struggling to find something for me. And this was just perfect. So off I went and had an absolutely great time just laughing at all the, the Doctor Who in-jokes and the silliness of it all. It was great. And it's a shame that because I believe that they did record it for a permanent you know, potential video release or yeah. DVD release, but nothing's ever been done of it, which is a real shame because it's a nice little bit of ephemera that's out there with sort of here's some Matt Smith that you've never seen or haven't seen in a very long time. Maybe it will find its way into one of the Blu-ray box sets at some point. That would be nice to have. That would be really nice to have. Dave, do you remember anything about this? Did you go? I was there, yes. It was very jammy, actually, because I, I had a friend who at that point was working in Ticket Scotland, and he got me a guestie. I had a plus one, went along with my pal Douglas. And it was funny, I was quite... I remember talking to people at work about it, actually. I was a bit, not cynical about it beforehand, but I was a bit, oh, I'm not really fussed about this. But it was genuinely one of the happiest and best Doctor Who experiences I've ever had. It was absolutely joyous. Took a little while for the crowd to kind of warm up to everything that was going on. You know, um, Nigel Planer coming out and not really getting too much of response from the audience. And I remember on the screen at one point it was a sort of countdown of, you know, progressing through all the different Doctors and Eccleston got a bit of a cheer, but then David Tennant got a big cheer, which was 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 really nice, sort of sat there. Was it was it the, was it the Exhibition Centre? It was. was it, I don't think Hydro was open yet, was it? No, it was the Exhibition right. Centre. It was, um, which is weird because I've, 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 I've worked there so many times since. It was a lot of fun, like the flying Dalek. Flying Daleks were amazing because you couldn't, you know, there was you couldn't see the join. You know, there was no hint. Of, I took a, I took a few photographs actually. My ancient Nokia. I'll need, I'll need to see if I can find them. I'll maybe post a couple on Facebook so that the, our listeners can see them if they're interested. Um, but I remember like you know the Cybermen walking right next to you, and it was because we had really good seats thanks to big Andy Ramsey. So it was um it was it was brilliant. It was a lot of fun. Proper Doctor Who again. <laughs> I think just having the monsters walking around 
was just amazing, surrounding you, Aye, immersive. I mean, it was it was like the, you know that little fat part part of you that's always eight years old was just like. But yeah, like I said, I mean, I remember talking to people at work the next day and sort of going, you know, and, and raving about it and going home because I think I remember we we bumped in a couple, bumped in a couple of people I knew. I think remember Hugh Haggerty was there because we all kind of walked along the road together afterwards, and it was it was joyous. I wish I could have bottled that feeling because um, even though it was just a projected image of, of the eleventh Doctor sort of waving to you from the the door of the TARDIS, we we're all waving back, <laughs> and of course Briggsy was doing his um. Was doing his Churchill, which was really funny. Aye, it was, it was, it was really dope. It really was. And then, of course, we come to the Symphonic Spectacular, which was at the SEC Hydro on May the 29th, 2015, which saw Peter Davison host a live show of Doctor Who music composed by Murray Gold, which was a phenomenal experience. I absolutely loved it. Tom, what do you recall of this? Well, uh, this memory is, is tainted with sadness in, in my memory because it was a matter of days, weeks if not days after I lost my seat at the 2015 general election. And I remember really wanted to go and my boys wanted to go. But actually, I mean, everyone thinks that MPs, when they leave the House of Commons, are showered with, with money and, and that they retire utterly wealthy and and. All I can remember at the period was being utterly petrified that I had no income uh, and my wife had no income because she worked for me. So we were really kind of, you know, concerned about the future. I had a few irons in the fire, but nothing, nothing concrete. So I, so when the prospect arose of having to spend money on literally anything, I mean, it was just a ridiculous time. We were being very, very cautious. So I, I haven't exploited my friendship with Stephen Moffat that often except to name drop them all the time but when it comes to actually <laughs> when it comes to actually asking for favors i tend not to but on this occasion and he had he was one of the first people to text me on the night of the election to to offer his commiserations so he knew that you know he knew much how i'd love how much i'd love the job and how you know he he knew me very well at the time i was trying to become an mp he knew my, uh, the effort that I was putting into actually getting into parliament in the first place so I thought I would exploit that, that sympathy. Uh, and I texted him and I said, look, if you can't do this, it's fine. But is there any chance you can provide some comps for this event in uh, the SEC in Glasgow? And within minutes, he'd got back to say, yeah, just pick your tickets up at the box office. So we did. It was great. And we got really great seats as well. And oddly enough, I was sitting there and I'd already decided that I was going to start my own public affairs company. I maybe already had, I can't remember at the time. And although I was making no money, I'd, I'd started putting feelers out into the industry to see if people wanted to use me as a lobbyist. And as I was sitting at the SEC, an, an old friend who used to work for the Labour Party came over to me and he worked for a big charity in Scotland and says, Tom, I saw that you started your own public affairs company. Give me your phone number. I need to phone you about some work we've got. So that was, it was a great day. <laughs> <laughs> Did you go to the matinee or the evening production? I went to the matinee because of the kids ah. with us. Because I think, from what I remember, one of my work colleagues, Jonathan, who's still at the Rutherglen Reformer, who I think you may still speak to now and again, Jonathan went to the matinee and said it was quite quiet, so everybody get moved to better seats. Oh, really? Right. Oh, well, yeah. we had good seats to begin with, so we didn't have to Oh, move. there you go. Well, talking of abusing your privileges and powers, I used mine as the editor of the Rutherglen Reformer because I requested the use of the Trinity Mirror company box at the Hydro that evening. And I got tickets. So we had 16 seats for people to go along and could host them. 
And if I thought about it, I wish I'd actually asked you at the time. Well, I was going to say, so if Moffat hadn't come through with the goods, I could have asked you. You could have asked me, but also present that night was uh, Mr. Gordon Burry, our former ah, right. colleague. Yeah, you're right. And uh, cause his daughter, Caroline, was a big fan, but we'll come back to, to them shortly. And uh, so I got the use of the company box and was given a £300 bill to spend in booze Very over good. the course of the evening. So that was rather Excellent. nice. Yeah, it was. And it was great. But the best part was that, because I was in charge of the guest list, so I invited a few people along, uh, some of whom, um, like people who'd worked for Axis, the graphics company, but I'd spoken to a few people for the record, the day of the record, to do features on. And there's this company, Axis, who did some of the, the work on one of the Capaldi episodes, so I invited them along. But on the day it was due to happen, they cancelled. Other stuff had come up for both of the, the, the guys. So I got to invite some of my pals along. So that made it even better. So it was basically that night, it was me with a whole load of my pals getting pissed on somebody else's expense while listening to Doctor Who music. And it was brilliant. It was a great show. It was great. I'm just hearing, I mean, Davison was fantastic as the host. All his jokes at Colin Baker's expense, like pretending he'd got a, a call from Colin and things like that all the way through it. It was it was just so much fun just um, watching that and having the, the live music. I mean, Katie, I mean, this is uh, 2015, so Katie had just turned nine and took her along and she just loved it. She was sitting back and just was just in rapture watching the live musicians performing in front of her and then the sound and the light particularly the opening moments when you've got the 12th Doctor's theme playing and all those lights coming on it goes bing bing bong it was just wonderful it was just really I'm going to get shivers down my spine thinking about it now but the really annoying thing is that after the show when we were still in the box and we were carrying on drinking our alcohol limit of 300 pounds and Caroline Gordon's daughter nipped out to use the loo or something like that and when she came back she was absolutely buzzing because she'd met Murray Gold in the foyer and she'd got his autograph and got a selfie with him as well. Great. So, How old was she at the time? Um, so high on it, she'd be 19. Wow, right. <laughs> so that's quite cool and um, yeah she's actually I need to ask her if she's still got that because it'd be quite a cool thing to have and um, hashtag Kenny has envy about meeting somebody who's a musician. Uh, but what, it was just amazing just hearing all these wonderful themes. So Caroline must have been a genuine fan because otherwise why on earth would she recognise Murray Gold? Absolutely, yeah, she's a proper fan. Um, right. She's, she's not um, not watching it as much these days, but uh, yeah, she's a, she's a proper fan. She came to it through the Eccleston series and has loved it ever since. And I'd always give her my old VHSs as they were replaced and they came out in DVD. So she's got a, a bit of an appreciation of the of the older stuff as well. One other thing, just when we were mentioning Peter Davison there, I think I mentioned this in a previous episode, that um, at the time I was working for the Rutherglen Reformer and was in the Daily Record building and the showbiz reporter Bev Lyons was doing all the, the various things. But Bev had an interview with Peter Davison fixed up to promote the event. But I think she was she had to go off she went off on holiday or something. She got or she got a free trip or something, went away she went. So I was asked if I'd like to do it for them instead. So I got to chat with Peter Davison to preview this event. And it was amazing just chatting to him. because um, actually it was a Friday afternoon and uh, I was sitting actually where I am sitting right now 
in here and just chatting to Peter Davison, I thought this was wonderful and got a really nice story from him because he was saying that he realised that his daughter was dating David Tennant before Georgia actually realised it because they were saying that David saying, oh, do you want to go to the theatre? And she's like, yeah, that's all right. Yeah, that's really cool. And then David say, do you want to go and see another show at the theatre and another night? And she couldn't see. She thought just they were going out as mates, having worked together on The Doctor's Daughter. So yeah. uh, Peter realised they were actually dating and hence the headline on the piece, The Love Doctor. Oh dear. Yeah, you can pick your stories, but you can't pick your headlines. So there we go. Gosh, listen to us yakkering on. We should really ask Dave. <laughs> Dave, what were your recollections of the Symphonic Spectacular? Do you remember the amazing preview piece about it in the Daily Record? <laughs> I don't know if I do, old mate, to be honest. <sighs> I didn't, I wouldn't you, I wouldn't you. I didn't see it. I have a feeling probably because of financial reasons, probably because when I was working at Glasgow 4 um, and the, the opening hours of that store, it was very difficult to make sort of arrangements to go and see concerts and shows and stuff. But also, at that point, I wasn't, I was kind of, <laughs> I wasn't too engaged, and I'm, I'll be, and I'm being respectful here because I'm, I'm being considerate of Kenny's feelings here. I wasn't too engaged with what was happening with the Doctor on TV at that point, so I wasn't, my interest wasn't as, as strong, so no, I, I didn't see it. I mean, it's, it's, see, it would have been dependent on what night of the week it was. And all yep, this it was a Saturday, there was Saturday. a Saturday matinee and Saturday night. Well, I probably would have been working on Saturday, but I would have finished yeah. at about six or seven. Yeah. It might have been doable yeah. if, if I'd been working yeah. that Saturday. Yeah. But in hindsight, looking back, if you'd had the cash and the time, would you have gone? Well, to be honest, probably not. It's the sort of thing you watch as a DVD extra, maybe once tops. You know, if 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 Andy Ramsey had said, Dave, do you want a, a plus one for blah, blah, blah? And if I really go up, I'd go, all right. You know, but I wouldn't have sought it out, as I say, because at that point, I wasn't in, too engaged with the first couple of Capaldi seasons in TV. So, you know, I was kind of a bit, mm, I wasn't that fussed about here. Does this, this, does this paint me as a bad fan? I just wasn't that fussed about hearing incidental music played live, to be honest. Whereas, you know, with the other ones, where there's a story and a narrative, something to be invested in, yeah, but I was, no, I just wasn't that interested. That's that's the bottom line, sadly. Did you find afterwards, Tom, that you were leaving in a bit of a high? Oh, very much. I can't imagine I'd have been leaving in quite as much of a high if I'd gone to see The Ultimate Adventure in 1989. <laughs> but by 2015, I mean, they really had nailed it in terms of presentation and quality, yeah. sound quality. And it was a full orchestra. As you say, Davison was just fantastic. And you've just reminded me, I'm looking, I'm never short of books to read, but I've had his autobiography for some time, not read it. So I'm going to maybe approach that quite soon. I'm the same. So uh, it was, yeah, it was fantastic. And and I think sometimes when you're watching the show back in the day when I used to watch it, it was easy to forget just how much quality the music was. I mean, you know, we call it incidental music, which is a bit insulting because certainly since the show relaunched in 2005, it's been a really core element of the atmosphere and the storytelling. And I think it was great that there was an opportunity to bring that, that, talent onto the live stage and to remind people that it's not just incidental it's actually core to the show so afterwards yeah i mean i absolutely was buzzing that's exactly the right way to put it yeah do you have the soundtrack cds i do not thank you everybody for listening remember to follow us on twitter at power of three pod that's power of three with the number three rather than written out in full we also have a website power of three pod.com where you can find our past episodes and articles and a Facebook page as well. So please feel free to pop by, like the page, 
and share your thoughts on our episodes. If you like the sound of our voices, you can find us in several other places. Tom, tell us about The Imposter. I do a regular podcast, usually once a week, called The Imposter, just 15-minute episodes, which are basically the narrative, the story of my life in politics from before I went into Parliament, during Parliament and my ministerial career, various scandals and adventures uh, coming out the other end in 2015. So all of the all of the episodes up to the, well, I think I've reached about 2008 at the moment. So all the episodes are available in, in whatever platform you listen to your podcast. And it's called Tom Harris, The Imposter. And can I just say, I heartily recommend it, having listened to them all in order from the beginning over the last week or two. And it's just a really fascinating listen, particularly you get to find out a little bit more about Tom. And it's always quite nice to hear little mentions of Doctor Who in there now and again. Dave, tell us a bit about Earth 2. Yes, the Earth 2 podcast with Peter and I charting the pre-crisis DC Comics multiverse. Upcoming episodes include The Flash and Green Lantern and The Spectre, if that means anything to you. Check them out, please. And also, you forgot to mention your special guest star. Yes, yeah, you might want to check out a recent episode where we did issue 29 of The Atom, which features the character of The Thinker, who Peter Capaldi is going to be playing in the new Suicide Squad movie, and that may have influenced some of my performance choices. So, yes, have a listen, see what you think. (laughs) And I also do another podcast, which is Doctor Who related, called Pieces of Eighth, which has only just started, which I do with my friend Becca, and that's dedicated to everything about the Eighth Doctor, whether it's on TV, books, audio, comics, and a lot more. And you can find it on all good podcast providers. And if you want to hear my non-Doctor Who stuff, you can find the Scottish Field podcast, which drops new episodes every Wednesday. So, Dave and Tom, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your memories of Doctor Who live. It's been great. Good, uh, Very enjoyable trip down memory lane. So thank you very much, Kenny, for hosting. And I'll speak to you soon. And finally, Dave, what are we going to play out with today? Kenny, I'm so glad you asked. We're playing out with that absolute classic from The Ultimate Adventure. This is Madame Delilah with the timeless Business is Business. Business is a business we always aim to please. Business is a business throughout the galaxies. Come to Bar Galactica for all star mercenaries. He'll solve your little crisis at reasonable prices. If running low on forces, don't waste your own resources. Business is business, we always mean to please. Business is business throughout the galaxies. Come to Bar Galactica for all-star mercenaries. Quell your insurrection, it's for your own protection. Make your style spectacular, tentacular vernacular. Business is a business we always mean to believe.
politicians fail to keep their word when they're elected, or simply don't turn out to be as good as you'd expected, or if your government's not acting in the way you want it to, just bleep us and we'll help you stage a military coup. Mercenaries are the best you'd hope to find. They're highly trained, they're highly skilled, a monster men's mind. When they attack, your force will be unable to resist them. The more you pay, the more they'll kill. That's the beauty of the system. Business is a business we always mean to please. Business is a business throughout the galaxy. Business throughout the galaxies. Come to Bar Galactica for all star mercenaries. We strongly recommend this tactica trip to good old Bar Galactica. No job is too large, no job is too small. We'll roll up our sleeves and we'll tackle them all. From a quick assassination to universal domination, we'll cause constant consternation throughout your constellation. Of course, business is business. 